I'm Dr. Molly Ness, host of the End Book Deserts podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmaletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Geraldine Woods. She's taught English at every level from fifth grade through advanced placement. She's also written numerous books. And today we're talking about her two most recent books, 25 Great Sentences and How They Got That Way. And the second one, Sentence, A Period-to-Period Guide to Building Better Readers and Writers. You are going to absolutely love this interview. Thanks for listening. By the way, don't forget... It would be so awesome if you went into the app that you're listening to me on and you rated and reviewed the podcast. Please, that helps me in podcast land get discovered. Thanks for thinking about it. Thanks for doing it. Enjoy. You know, a couple of years ago, my uh, my wedding band started having problems. And I've had it for 34 years, and uh, it started breaking at, at the backside of it. And we got it fixed a couple of different times. And then eventually, not too long ago, one of those that backside just fell out and it couldn't be fixed any longer. And I'm like, this is crazy. I, you know, I shouldn't have to deal with this. And, and so anyway, then a friend told me about, uh, Boone titanium rings and, uh, which is at boonrings.com. And they have this incredible selection of titanium rings. And, and, uh, I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars, and and the, I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlays that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that. They also make uh, carved rings and, and a, just a, an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing. They also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings, and as well as a couple different types of tools. Um, I got to tell something it's really cool because this ring's not going to break <laughs> and uh they, they'll make you happy and uh just as a note uh teaching learning leading k-12 um they've become an affiliate sponsor for us and so if you were to use our code which is capital t capital l capital l capital k the number 12 
and uh, use that at checkout, you get 10% off your ring and uh, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 gets a commission. I think you're going to love their rings. I know I'd love mine. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Geraldine Woods has taught English at every level from fifth grade through advanced placement, most recently at the Horace Mann School. She's the author of numerous nonfiction books for adults and children, including English Grammar for Dummies, English Grammar Work- Workbook for Dummies, Webster's New World Punctuation, Simplified and Applied, 25 Great Sentences and How They Got That Way, and Sentence, A Period-to-Period Guide to Building Better Readers and Writers. She has an awesome blog called Grammarian in the City, Snarky Remarks on Language. I see in here in New York City. By the way, you got to go to this blog, all right? It's cool. <laughs> um, you, you have to read the blog posts about signs. She notes that I am obsessed with words and language. I play Scrabble, do crossword puzzles, and walk into traffic when I'm trying to decide why flammable and inflammable mean the same thing. She lives in New York City. Geraldine, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I feel quite honored. Well, I'm glad that you're here and uh, you have these awesome books that we're going to be talking about here in just a minute, which is really cool. So uh, so let's start here, though. In your bio, I read that you have taught English at every level from fifth grade to advanced placement. What did you like most when you were teaching? I think what I like most about teaching is the learning opportunity it gives to the teacher. Those of us who teach, I think, understand that you don't really understand something until you try to explain it to somebody else. But beyond that, I taught teenagers, and I know that um, they can be a little annoying at times, but they're also open to the world in a way that adults are sometimes closed off. We say, well, no, you can't do that. And they say, why not? And I think being with young people is a way to keep some doors open or to open doors I hadn't even known existed. And that's always been my favorite part. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, teaching kids, and it's just, it's never a dull moment, and that's, that's, cool stuff. So uh, uh, I can't, I, I definitely can't let this comment go that you wrote on your blog. So um, flammable and inflammable thing. I mean, there are even memes about this. It was funny because I hadn't really thought about this. And so I, I just went, I'm going to Google this and boom, it's all over the place. <laughs> There's all kinds of memes and everything about this. Um, what are your thoughts about these two words? First of all, I think it, it's interesting to see how language changes. So flammable and inflammable, in is usually a prefix meaning not. Uh, However, here they come from two different Latin words. So one is to be able to catch fire and the other is to catch fire. So they really are in opposites. They just look like opposites. But what I like more than anything is, is just styles in words. People used to say flammable all the time or inflammable um, became more popular or maybe it's the reverse. But I like that language is a living entity, that it, it changes. It changes with the times and the people using it. And I think that's a good thing, letting language grow and, and watching how it grows is one of my hobbies. That's very cool. So uh, um, it, it, I just thought that it was so cool when I looked this up and, and, and you're right about it growing and changing because, I mean, that every, every year they add new words to the, <laughs> the Webster's Dictionary that you go, Wow, that's a word now. Nice. Okay. And <laughs> but good stuff. So uh so let's start with your book, 25 Great Sentences and How They Got That Way. 
In the introduction, you say this, a beautiful sentence stops you cold. You savor it not just for what it says, but also for how it's written. It's not always pretty, mind you. Share a little bit about how you have set the stage for what the reader will experience in this book. I knew that people would come to this book with some preconceived ideas about what a great sentence is. We probably all have them, even if we haven't articulated it to ourselves. And I thought to myself, what are, what are my criteria? And there's a sentence from um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Letter from a Birmingham Jail, when he describes so many terrible experiences that he's experienced personally or that other people have because of segregation and just prejudice. And it's an ugly sentence in what it tells you, but it's beautiful because it's true. And to, to get the truth out there, to say, this is my experience. This is what's happening. This is what we need to think about. That's beautiful. So I think I wanted to stay to, to say right off the bat, this is something, don't look for something flowery or, or you know, um, old English or something like that. Like language is a living thing and, and people create something beautiful when they tell their truth and they tell it in a way that make, they make you understand it. So that would, that's the genesis of that part of the discussion. I love that. And it's, uh, this is an awesome book. I, the, you know, and I'm going to get, um, just keep throwing kudos your way because this is a, um, a book about sentences and I mean, no offense, but it, you know, it's like, this is, you, it's engaging and it's inspiring and it's, it's really cool. And the way you've chosen the different, uh, the different types of sentences to show what you're talking about is, is pretty amazing. And that's, and that's what I want to ask you about. I mean, early in the book, you actually explain why the sentences were chosen. Could you talk a little bit about that process? So I was a teacher for many years. And when I started teaching, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> my first day of class, I stood there and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm the grown up. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. And I really had no clue. So I would throw out a, a very big question. If, if we were reading Lord of the Flies, I would say, well, describe your ideal society. And I thought I was gonna get some kind of nuanced long explanation of the tension between personal freedom and responsibility to the community. And instead I got things like everyone will be happy. Uh, no one will have homework, <laughs> kids after all. And uh, so that wasn't really working really well for me. And so instead I started looking at one small bit. A sentence is just a little bit of a thing and yet you can get so much out of it and you can start with that and then, then move outward to the themes that the author is trying to convey and also how the author is trying to get that point across. So through the years as a teacher, I collected a bunch of sentences. And then I also, I, I am a kind of language obsessed person. I, I walk around thinking about flammable or inflammable or all kinds of things like that. So I noticed stuff. And when I noticed it, I would write it down. So by the time I started to write, I had a massive file cabinet filled with sentences. And the more that I, I worked on it, the more things I noticed and therefore the more sentences I collected. So uh, it, it was a kind of organic process that way. It's very cool. And I got to tell you, at some point when you were eliminating, you know, what you're using because from that file cabinet full down to what you chose, because your choices are amazing, but I just can't imagine at some point going, Hmm, okay, which one is going to stay and which one's going to go? <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a tough process. I comforted myself when I was writing 25 great sentences. I wrote that one first and I thought, well, I can't put it in here, but I'll save it for a sentence. Cause I knew that I was going to write the teaching for teachers about how to teach this way because it was a method of teaching that helped me a lot. 
So I comforted myself that way. When I was writing sentence, I had no comfort left. <laughs> I just had to say, okay, when I'm teaching a class, I'll, I'll use this. And I still collect them because I just can't stop. That's so cool. I, I just, I mean, this, this, this book is, and, and when we get to sentence, it's, I mean, they're completely engaging. And this is what I meant earlier by what I said when, uh, cause I'm not sure I finished the thought, but the idea that, uh, you know, when somebody talks about the, the possibility of, uh, reading a, a book about sentences, I think a lot of people probably go back to the scary days of, uh, diagramming sentences and things like uh, not understanding why one gets one line and one gets two lines and, uh, and going, please save me from this. <laughs> you know, And, and uh, we're nowhere near that planet We're this is, it's so awesome. It's, it, I mean, it just really cool the way you've written this. And, you know, one of the things, just to give an example in 25 great sentences, you actually use one of my all time favorite skits from Monty Python, the dead parrot. Could you share why this made the cut? Well, first of all, it's one of my all-time favorite Monty Python sketches. It was in the chapter on repetition. And I thought usually, okay, so I'm a teacher. I'm sitting there and I'm reading all kinds of wonderful 300-word essays that are 500 words long. And so I'm spending a lot of time saying, you know, you're repeating yourself, cut this, be more concise. You don't have to say it over again. But once you cut everything to the bone, you realize there are times when you really do want to repeat it. And Monty Python is a perfect example of that when he's trying to explain that he was sold a dead parrot and the um, pet shop owner is really not not wanting to accept that. And, and he goes through every possible way to say this parrot is dead, including it's an ex parrot. And I, I just love it. And, and building that intensity with repetition, I couldn't think of a more fun example. It's a great example. I just never thought of them that way. Now I'm going to see them all totally differently when I start watching, go back and look at some of those past episodes. So good stuff. Yes. The ex parrot got to love it. <laughs> he bangs him on the counter. Um, yeah. And you, you just have incredible, like you mentioned Martin Luther King's uh, letter at the beginning, you have uh, lots of very famous, uh, like you have Virginia Woolf. Um, you have uh, sentences from uh, um, Winston Churchill. You even have Yoda. Um, which I, which I like, um, it, I got to ask you this. Is there anyone in there that, uh, was really just, you knew from the beginning, you had to make sure it was there. Yoda, ah, nice. <laughs> definitely Yoda, Yoda and Virginia Woolf, those two. And, and I, I have to, that mental image of having those two together was, was a lot of fun and, and possibly started me on the book because it is, I, it did occur to me that great writing and great sentences would come from everywhere. And, and that I don't think you could really get a more mismatched couple. So it seemed like those two were, they kind of gave birth to the book in some ways when I, when I thought of them together. Yoda, because there is that, okay, so it's Super Bowl Sunday a couple of years ago and everybody else is watching the game and I'm reading about the Jedi Knights and their Jedi philosophy and the force. And because I couldn't possibly be a bigger nerd. And, and, um, <laughs> But I'm reading about the force and I'm, I'm thinking, well, Yoda is supposed to sound alien and, you know, because he is, but he's also emphasizing that you have something bigger than yourself and, and the force is bigger than you. The force is all living things and that has value and your individual ego is not as valuable. So when he says much to learn, you still have, he puts the knowledge in front of the individual, the you, and all of the, you know, the whole, um, mythology of that film series comes down to that. You have to understand where your place is in the universe. And it just seems to me to be a perfect sentence. I love that. And uh, 
as a fan, I, I, I'm totally going to see it differently now. I'm going to be paying more attention to those sentences. I <laughs> read them all the time. Uh, good stuff. The, uh, so I want to read what a reviewer said. Uh, There's not a dull moment in this collection. Wood's selection of sentences is both varied and surprising. Her analysis, refreshing and illuminating. This was John Allman. I, I, I totally agree. Never would I have thought a book on sentences would be so engaging. Throughout the book, you have a section called For the Writer. And I love this section. Could you, these sections, could you share what this segment is about and why you included it? So I discuss techniques that writers use to get their point across to reinforce meaning. And I like to think that everyone can be a writer. When my son was little, I would sit in the park bench and he'd be in the sandbox and I'd have a big yellow pad on my knee and I'd be writing. And sometimes people would come over and say, what are you doing? And I'd say, well, I'm writing a book and because uh, I had to pay the rent. So I, that was part of, the, part of the rent money was coming out on that yellow pad. And they'd say, oh, you're so lucky. I can't write, that's not my thing. And I would say, well, you know, I am lucky because I have a pretty good kid and he's not killing anybody in the sandbox. So that's nice, I have the time therefore to do this. But, but my feeling is as a teacher of writing is that writing can be taught and writing can be learned. So I would like to have people try to play a little bit. I think the, the for the writer exercises, there's maybe two or three suggestions for each technique. Try this, see what happens if you, how about you try it a different way? Even if you end up hating what you've put down and then you could say, well, that's definitely not for me, but I'll try another way. I think it, it awakens that creativity and it takes away some of the feeling that you have to, you know, there's kind of two groups in the world, writers and non-writers. I, I, don't, I think that's a shame. People should be able to express themselves and, and have fun doing so. Very much so, very much so. And that, you do hear that a lot. You know, I think people get that feeling that, oh, it's just, you're born with some talent. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, so sad, but um, great stuff. Thank you so much. So good. Now I hate to do this because I'm going to shift now. Um, and it's not that I, I love the second book just as much. So, but I, this was tough talking about having to eliminate stuff. I, I had a whole bunch of other questions. I'm like, you don't have three hours to talk with me. So, um, so we're going to shift now to uh, sentence, a period to period guide to building better readers and writers. And it has one of my all-time favorite opening sentences. I was never so good or so bad a teacher as I was during my first year on the job. Having no idea what would work, I was willing to try almost anything to get my point across. Why did you start the book this way? I wanted to encourage teachers of whatever level of experience they may be to remember what it's like to try something new and to know that sometimes you're going to mess it up and it's not going to work. And so you try something else. I think that's true in life actually, as well as in teaching, but it's certainly true in teaching to look, to see what's, what's working and what isn't. I came up with methods that I, I felt good about and that had a better chance of success than not, but they didn't work all the time and they didn't work with every kid or every class. And then I had to keep trying straight through my entire career. I think being open to learning is being open to trying new things as a teacher. And I wanted to start the book that way to remind us all that, that we, can, we can keep trying, um, especially these days, that's a pretty good thing to remember. Very much so. And I, it's an awesome way to start it because you made me think about all from my own experiences to uh, you know, all the way up as a principal, I, I looked for teachers who, like, who were like that as new teachers, that they, they, they're willing to, to try and experiment with the kids and, and figure it out. And you know, they, there's not that, uh, you know, some little neon sign going off in their head saying, no, 
should you really try that? You know, or, uh, you know, some negative voice saying, Oh, I wouldn't do that. If I were you, it might turn out poorly or whatever. I, I, uh, okay. We talked star Wars a second ago. So the, the line, I got a bad feeling about this, you know, doesn't, <laughs> so, sorry. I'll show my geekiness, <laughs> but you know, but, uh, and, and instead they're just excited about the kids learning and, uh, so willing to, uh, to try. I just love the way you started that. It's awesome. So, you know, what inspired you to continue your focus on sentences? Well, part of it, it was, the idea that I just found all these beautiful things, these wonderfully written things, and I, I, they, I'm just attracted to them, and, and I want to keep those things. But also, I think a sentence is the smallest unit that different, differentiates one writer's style from another. So if you're reading Hemingway, for example, you, you kind of hear, even if it's not Hemingway, um, it's a kind of parody of Hemingway. You know, people instinctively know this is a Hemingway sentence. The same thing is true with Yoda, for example. So I think... It, it's just an interesting way. It's a bite-sized piece of, of to look at language rather than to look at a whole work. It's, it's Of course, I love whole books and whole speeches and whole movies, but I, I like to look at little bits at a time because I think that's you can grasp that. You can think about it. It's, it's, it's tempting. It's kind of like the potato chip thing. You can't eat just one. Yes. You got to keep going. Nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, very cool because it... it it flows nicely. All right. It's, it's, uh, you know, picks up and it feels like, uh, it feels like you had a, uh, a, a two-part, uh, um, thought in the beginning that, uh, here we're going to go from this one as a lead in and here, this one's coming next. So it makes me wonder, is there, a is it a trilogy actually? Is there a, I'm actually writing a book, another book now for the same publisher, but it's about a, a different, uh, not in, not about sentences. It's about a, a teaching, program that I established uh, called independent study. Um, I think this year has shown that we've had to be, we've pivoted so often we we're practically doing some sort of one of those ice skating spins when you can't stop. So I think um, it seems like a good time to try something new. And this was a program that I, I thought was really worked really well and I'm hoping to share it with other schools. So that one's in the works. Very cool. Very cool. So more to come on that. Um, excellent. So, so let's go back to sentence and, uh, um, sentence is divided into two distinct sections, instructional overview and sentence elements to teach. Could you share what the reader will find in these sections? The, instructor, the uh, instructional overview is, in general, the techniques I found that really helped me to teach close reading, to pay attention, not just to quickly grasp the surface, but to dig in and see what else is happening. And, and then writing, because once you understand, you read something and you see what, what's happening, then you might try that technique yourself. So my, and then a few other things, my general thoughts on dictionaries, you know, there are people that, unless it's on paper, that don't think it's a real dictionary. And I was very happy to see the Oxford English Dictionary go online, so I didn't have to use a magnifying glass. Um, my thoughts on grammar terminology, things like that as well. Um, so I, I wanted to do sort of an overview, things just as, kind of my philosophy of teaching uh, sentences. And then the second part, I wanted to get practical. So I um, divided into the techniques, there are 25, and I give lesson plans and ideas. So for example, I mentioned, we mentioned Yoda, um, other people who reverse sentences. Um, Tolkien, for example, in a hole in, a ground, in the ground, there lived a hobbit. So you would expect him to say a hobbit lived there in a hole in the ground, but he's, he's created a world and he wants to show you the world first and then bring you into it, invite you into this world. 
So I wanted to put some um, practicalities and I'm thinking of busy teachers. There's not enough hours in the day, especially lately. So you pull it off the shelf, you need something for a couple of minutes, you need something that will get you through the last 20 minutes before vacation or the first 20 minutes of the work week or, or whatever, um, or you want something longer. And, and so I, the lesson plans and the um, analysis more specifically, how to teach this particular element come in the second part of the book. Very cool. Very cool. And it, and it is excellent. I mean, you get into, in, in the instructional overview, like you said, you, you start off with some thoughts about strategies and uh, specific strategies. And one of them that you start with, the, the first one that you start with is closed reading. It, was there reason for choosing this one to put it first? I think reading is the basis of pretty much everything. So, and I'm the kind of person that I've fallen down in very many staircases because I don't want to put the book down. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm like. So I, I think starting with that, paying attention, um, paying attention to what people say. I mean, I, we're, I'm using the term reading, but we're also listeners. So what you hear and what technique is at work um, or what you read and what technique is at work, millions of dollars are spent on that by advertising agencies to craft a message so it will land in a certain way. That tells you that there's power in that. And if you understand that power, then you give it to students and then students have that power. They can use it themselves to contribute to the, our civic life, to argue with their parents to get their point across to their friends. I, I think there's power in that in, in seeing what's being used on you and then understanding how to use it yourself. Very cool. Very cool. I, I you know, um, something that I, I really like is that sentence is designed to be very helpful and practical. Like you, you talked about a minute ago, um, not just informative and it's meant to be used, not just read as an example of what I mean, there are lesson plans included that you just talked about. Um, could we delve into those lesson plans just a second? Sure. So let's say for um, a chapter on sound. Okay. So onomatopoeia. All oh, kids love that one. And so you want to start off with, um, in, I start off in general. If you want kids to pay attention to sound, here are a few things you can do. So I give a few examples and then, um, then I give an example of a specific sentence that you can use to teach that element. And a suggested lesson plan with answers. So you can grab it and plug and play. Um, I think the lesson plans themselves, I, I, the way I list things, you can take a lot of time or you can take just a little bit of time. Sometimes I would use these things, for example, um, I'd put it on the board and I, if people are coming in, they would know that the kids are coming in, they'd know they have to start writing some ideas down. So it was a way of making everybody be quiet and, and settled and focused. Then everybody's got a few minutes and then I start the class. So I don't have to say, all right, everybody settle down, you know, and, and, and go into teacher mode. It's just to sort of pulls them into the ideas and without my doing anything. So I wanted to have lesson plans that people could put up on the screen for virtual learning or put up on the um, chalkboard if they're there in person or both if it's hybrid. Um, so that'll be easy uh, and it'll be a way for them to adapt them to something else that they're teaching. You, I gave a lot of sentences, but if you're teaching a novel or a poem to students, you can just use the same technique and apply it to a sentence from the work the kids are reading anyway. I like that. I like that a lot. And it's, it, you've got these ideas in there about how to do this and introduce it. I mean, which means that for a teacher, it's like, Here's the here's the strategy. Now let's take a look and here's some ideas about how to put this into, into work in the classroom, which means that you can take your your um, Geraldine, you take your book and actually, you know, put the concept in place possibly tomorrow in the classroom, which is which is awesome. I'm 
you know, and teachers are always looking for tools like that. So hint, hint to my listeners. All right. Great, great tool for that. Uh, you know, and as a former history teacher, I love chapter four. All right. And uh, chapter four is titled interdisciplinary study, where you explain many ways of connecting writing with the world. And uh, could you talk about this strategy? I think that in, in academia in general, we've artificially separated the, the threads of knowledge into disciplines. And really knowledge is a whole cloth. You don't need to know that you're learning something about history or science or arts when you're a little kid, you just, you just learn. <laughs> you don't have a way of, of naming it. And I like things that, that interweave the, these artificially separated strands. Uh, so for example, a, a sentence from Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway can lead easily into psychology because one of the characters has what they call shell shock, we would call PTSD. It can lead to history of the, of the conflict and, and how people, how the veterans were treated when they came back. Um, it can also be about arts. Uh, you can show, she, Virginia Woolf was a modernist, so you can show some visual arts that complement it. So, I like to give ideas for these cross-disciplinary studies because it, it reminds us and reminds students that knowledge is a seamless whole. And we just change the lens once in a while to look at it in different ways. I love that. I love it. And that's like I said, I, I had the good fortune of working in a, in a school where this was encouraged. And so myself and the English teacher, you know, that, that's, 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 you know, and what was even better was the times when we figured out how to include math and uh, science together. But uh, that was, uh, I, I love this chapter. because I'm like, yes, yes, cool. <laughs> so uh, good stuff. Yeah. Could you help, uh, help close us out by sharing how using your books, 25 great sentences and how they got that way and sentence a period to period guide to building better readers and writers will help build better readers and writers. I hope that the takeaway from these books will be first for, for people who are not teachers, but just love language or are interested in, in understanding how language functions. Too often language is a set of rules and, and admonitions, you know, don't do this, do that. Um, it's, it's the equivalent of a, a kind of, I don't know, scolding <laughs> um, when people talk about language. And that's a shame because language is so beautiful and so useful. So I'm hoping that that comes away from, um, people come away from these books with that. And secondly, I think teachers really are under a lot of pressure. The pandemic has only made it worse, but you know, I teach to the test or uh, 20, change the schedule because of the bus company schedule or things like that. I mean, we, you know, we have a lot put upon us as teachers and I, anything that would, would, I think teachers do heroic jobs in the war against ignorance and I anything I can do to support their efforts I would like to do so very cool well you've done it and this is awesome and uh and what's cool too by the way I just had to say this is that you know it's it, there are awesome tools for teachers but also for people who are just writing who I mean to learn about sentence structures and way you know the, just the the different concepts there I I could see many writers that's why I thought it was cool when I looked through different people that reviewed your books that there's there's writers there there's it's cool so kudos to you. Uh, Geraldine, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Well, I have the blog, grammarianinthecity.com. And I certainly welcome people to come and read uh, the blog entries. But there's also uh, about the author and, and there's a, a little bit about uh, 25 great sentences. And as soon as I get 
a moment of free time, there'll be a tab for this, the first sentence as well. I'm a little behind on that. So they can look there. Um, I do have an Amazon author page. Um, and I, um, I think on my blog too, I link to a few different media outlets where people can find out more about me there. Awesome. And I will have those links in my show notes. So uh, that'll be, uh, um, that, that'll be there um, for them to come find and link straight to you. And, and by the way, I got to mention that uh, blog one more time, because one of my all time favorites is there's a, she's got pictures of some signs in New York that deal with birds. And uh, my all time favorite is uh, do, do not sit or feed the birds. And, and <laughs> I know you bend their little legs and put them. <laughs> exactly. Don't make them sit. That's not good. That's just, <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's sorry. That's uh, right up there with the pet shop. So we're, <laughs> um, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so, uh, Geraldine, I've got two last questions for you, and uh, these are questions I just like to ask my guests. Uh, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? It's a pretty timely question these days. I think we keep going because we have a responsibility to each other. Uh, I would like to believe that we can repair the things that have gone wrong in the world. And to that end, I think we, we keep going and we each approach that effort in our own way. So that's my hope. But it is sometimes hard. It's been a tough year. There's no question about that. You got that right. That's why, you know, it's just, it's a taking advice for, for anyone and everyone who wants to, you know, give us thoughts about, you know, because a lot of people thinking about, how can I just hang this up, man? Yeah. <laughs> so, so good stuff. Thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Sister St. Vincent. <laughs> I was um, in her seventh grade class. She taught every subject. I thought she was extremely tall. I don't know what I would think now, but I was a kid. She had had polio at some point as, as a child. So she had a brace that clanked when she walked around and she had a very long ruler that she would wrap on the desk and, and I think probably on some people's knuckles occasionally. But what she said all the time to us was read, read, read. I, I have that echoing in my head. And there were times during the school day when she would just pull a book out and read us a little bit of a story. And I think I would have loved reading regardless, but I, I knew then that it was something, something had been validated. It was okay to love reading. It was okay to be that person who's holding the book on the way down the stairs and, and doesn't want to miss a, a sentence. Uh, and I owe that to her. Um, she's been gone a long time now. She was pretty old when I was in her class, but I would thank her if I could. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, Geraldine, this has been awesome. 25 great sentences and how they got that way and sentence, a period to period guide to building better readers and writers are amazing books. They're instructive, engaging, and fun. And I can't thank you enough for sharing. Um, to my listeners, these books will help you as a writer and as a teacher of writing. Uh, you need to go get yourself a copy and start making and, and, and dog earing because you're going to be doing it. You're going to be marking those pages, man. Um, Geraldine, wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you so much. It's been a real honor to be with you today. Be safe, be well. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. (laughs) 
opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.